Thanks for tuning in. You're now listening to the latest podcast from House SF. For more information about House and our heart for the city, please make sure to visit our website at www.housesf.org. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we commit this time to you. In fact, we don't want to go any further in this morning, God, without even acknowledging that you're here in our midst. Not only are you here, but you want to speak to every individual in this room today. So, Father, we say, have your way. Speak to us, God. Touch our hearts. Convict us. Build us up. Encourage us, God. Grow us in these moments. May we not leave today without an encounter with the living God. Thank you for your word. Because it stands on its own. doesn't even need me, God. Just thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you go ahead and grab your seats and I'll save my voice by not yelling. No promises. We were talking about this the other day, right? We're... We were sharing with someone else, another pastor from San Jose, and he's like, so I was really like aware that I was trying not to talk so loudly during our services, and then everyone's telling me, like, no, you're still yelling at us. <laughs> and then Arlene's like, oh, you, Craig, and you should get together. This is good. <laughs> Thanks. I do. I get excited. I get really passionate sometimes. And it's like, it's so good seeing all your faces. Mickey and Krista, love yous. You guys are the best. So special having you today with us. Um, So we've been in a series, you guys, of Be, Grow, Thrive. Really these three words that God has given us over our church coming into 2019. House SF is a place for us to be, a place to grow, and a place to thrive. I'm going to touch a little bit on this today, but I'd love to begin with a story. This is going to be out of Acts chapter 8. Some of you might know this story referred to as Philip and the eunuch. But I want to give you a little bit of context first before we even go anywhere. See, what just took place is Stephen was actually just stoned. He was killed. For some of you, some of you are like, what kind of church is this that I just came to? Stephen was stoned. Um, He was just killed, and the Christian church was persecuted, so they started to branch out. Everyone but the 12 apostles left Jerusalem, and they started to spread out all over the place. From Judea to Samaria, all over. They were just spreading out, trying to not be in the way, trying to hide from people. Now, when this happened, Philip found himself in Samaria. Not the best place for a Jewish man to go to. There's a lot of political turmoil. There's just a lot of, there's this, I want to say beef, but there's like these, this tension between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. And I won't go into all the details, but a lot of us are already aware of what's going on. There's like years and years, decades of this tension that's going on between these people. Philip shows up on the scene and he starts preaching and God starts doing amazing things. And this is where our story is going to take off. See, our story begins that an angel appears to Philip and tells him, I want you to go out of Samaria to this road, to this desert road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. I want to pause here for a moment. 
Because it's very easy that when we hear something like this and we, we can kind of shut off because we think, oh, encounter with an angel, encounter with God. That's why this guy was able to do this, right? I don't get those. God doesn't speak to me like that. Maybe some of you, God doesn't speak to me like that. God speaks to us in so many different ways. But the question I want to ask you is, are you actually listening? Some of you don't need an angel to appear to you because God is speaking through, through your neighbor or through your friend from church. He's speaking through his word. He's using anything and everything to communicate with you. But are you listening? Our story goes on that as soon as he has this encounter and the angel tells him to go to this random desert road that no one's on, Scripture simply says, so he started out. Just like that. Now on the way on this road, he's walking down and he runs into this man. Well, not just one man. There's multiple people. There's a procession of chariots. It happens to be an a Ethiopian official. He's a government official. He's a high official that's in fact uh, looks after the entire treasury of Ethiopia. So this man has some power. Scripture says that he was on a chariot, and I know that so many of us, when we read it, I think of like those old school Roman movies, right? Or like 300, the chariot, like horse-driven chariot. Not one of those. Sorry to break it to you. Those that have an imagination like me. It was probably an ox-driven cart or carriage. More like the luxurious, like the Bentley of like carriages, okay? He's like sitting really cushioned this thing, someone else driving him around. So he runs into this man, sees him, this whole procession, and the Spirit of God speaks to him once more. He tells Philip, go over to that, that chariot over there and stay by it. He says, go over by that chariot and stay by it. That's all. So what does Philip do? He goes up. He doesn't just go up. Philip, Scripture says, he runs up to it. Runs up to the chariot, and he hears this man reading and he comes a little closer and closer. And as he gets closer, he's like, wait, I actually know what he's reading. That's the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He's actually reading scripture. So Philip, Philip walks up to this man and he asks him, he's like, do you understand what you're reading? And the man simply looks at him. He says, how can I? How can I unless someone actually explains it to me? So the man actually invites Philip up into his cush chariot, and Philip sits with him. And he shows Philip what he's reading. For us, this would have been Isaiah 53. Everyone know what Isaiah 53 is? Points to Jesus. What a coincidence how God works these things, right? So he's reading through Isaiah 53, and Scripture goes on to tell us that from that point on in Scripture that Philip shared with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philip shares with him in such a way that they see water further down the road and the Ethiopian eunuch tells him, well, there's water, why can't you baptize me? So they tell the chariots to stop. The whole entire procession is at a halt on this road. Because see just dust flying up everywhere and the guy's like, no, 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 I'm not leaving until you baptize me. And they go down and scripture tells us they come back up and Philip baptized them. And then Luke proceeds to tell us that as they came up out of the water that 
Philip disappeared. And that's it. Luke doesn't bother to tell us anything else except for then Philip ended up in another city preaching the gospel. Which it is really bizarre on the outside, right? Surface level, this is really strange. Great story. This eunuch man accepts Jesus, gets saved, right? Gets baptized. Philip just disappears. Luke is a physician. Come on, y'all, you're with me, right? Luke is a physician, and he's eloquent with his words. He knows how to communicate things. Why did he only use one line to say Philip disappeared, and he didn't say anything else? Maybe because that's what wasn't the important part of this story. In fact, maybe that was the least important part of this story. I want to dig a little deeper with you, though. You guys okay? You with me still? The story sounds great, but we're going to start to look at the layers in this story. Because I actually believe that this story can touch many of us today in this room. And a lot of times this story is preached just from the standpoint of Philip, because Philip is amazing. Let's be real. In the couple chapters in Acts that talk about him, he's a great guy. And I do love how this is called Acts, right? Acts of the Apostle. Not like knowledge of the apostles or wisdom of the apostles. It was a documentation of them actually going out into public and sharing the gospel and releasing the power of the kingdom of God throughout their cities. Acts. Are we acting today? Or are we just sitting back? So Philip is asked by God to leave Samaria. We're going back to the beginning here. Not just Samaria. God asked him to leave revival in Samaria. It's like an oxymoron. Revival in this place where all of the heathens, right? The half-breeds and all these people, these are at? Revival. And God is asking him to just walk away. But not just walk away. Go to this desert road where it's desolate and there's nothing there. Notice we can't really read between the lines because the angel doesn't give him any other details. He says, Philip, go from this great place and where you're seeing God move and you're seeing the miraculous, just go to that lowly dirt road out there. No details. Nothing. God ever do that to you? You ever feel like God's giving you commissioned to do something or told you to do something or speak to somebody? You're like, what? I need a little more, God. you got to give me more than that. Not just go the dirt road. And Scripture tells us that he went, right? He simply obeyed. So he sees his chariot and the Holy Spirit speaks to him. Another side note. How interruptible are we? When you're walking on your dirt, dirt road, maybe you got the first step of obedience right. And you're cruising, and you're like, yes, God, okay, I'm stepping out in faith. But how aware are you to the voice of God when he wants you to move? How interruptible are you when you see someone on your way, maybe if you're running late to church and you see somebody that maybe needs something on your way to church? How interruptible are we? No, 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 sorry, I got I to gotta go, got to go. I'm headed to lunch. I'm headed here, I'm headed there, right? I have my agenda, I have my day, sorry. 
Holy Spirit speaks to him. But see, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and he simply said, go over to that chariot and stay near it. That's it. Not why. Not how I want you to approach this chariot. Not who was in it. Like, God, hook me up with like a little something, right? Nothing. Go to that chariot and stand near it. And this is a funny portion to me. We said, Scripture says he runs over. Isn't that like a little over-enthusiastic? I could just imagine Philip running to this chariot, and this guy has probably got guards, this Ethiopian eunuch, and everyone's in the procession looking like, who is this crazy man running up to us? And he's like running up. What you reading? <laughs> Understand what you're reading? It's literally what takes place. It's not like, you know, we picture Philip, some proper man, that one of the seven that was chosen by the 12 apostles and walks up in his stature and his head high. And what is thou reading today? Like it's some sort of Shakespearean thing. He ran up to the chariot, probably so excited that God spoke to him and said, here, go over here. So he runs up to this chariot, asks the man if he knows what he's, talk, what he's reading about. But this eunuch, this Ethiopian eunuch, Scripture tells us that he had just gone on basically a spiritual pilgrimage to Jerusalem. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Commendable, right? This journey that he's on, he's actually on his way back from Jerusalem. This would have taken him weeks and weeks and weeks to get there. This isn't just some little journey that you just, oh, you know, I'm not doing anything this afternoon. I'm going to go ahead over here and I'll, you know, I'll see you later this evening for dinner. Like, this would have been a trip that cost a lot of money. He would have had a lot vested in this. And he makes his pilgrimage, travels hundreds and hundreds of miles, takes him weeks on end. And all he has to show is a little souvenir. The scroll probably was in Greek as well. But see, not everyone had these scrolls of Scripture. When we read stories like this, we just assume that everything is just so easily, readily, you know, readily available. We take it just so for granted. And there's, but there's so much more to the story. Because all this man had after going for weeks and weeks, going to Jerusalem to worship, he has this scroll. Obviously, he's passionate about the scripture because he's reading it on the way home. And the thing is, this eunuch... He would have been a well-educated man, wealthy, well-educated. And he's with an entourage. He's a high government official. And see, eunuchs were often given these high positions in government because they're looked at that they're not subject to sexual temptation or anything else like that. And if you don't know what a eunuch is, I'll let you kind of look it up later. But they were emasculated. Um, they could not reproduce. They couldn't have kids for obvious reasons or for some of you, like I said, look it up later. But this man's genuinely intrigued by scripture so much that he's reading it out loud, but that's actually customary back then. 
Whenever anyone would read scripture, they would go through the scroll and they would read slowly, but they would also read out loud. It's almost like God set this whole thing up. So Philip hears him reading Isaiah. He strikes up a conversation with him. The man responds, invites him inside of the chariot, right? Let's discuss this. Now it just happens to be Isaiah 53 that they're reading, right? Another coincidence. Out of all the scripture that he could have bought, he bought the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet. Out of all the places he could be reading in Isaiah, it's chapter 53. He had to read 52 other chapters before he got there. So it just so happens to be the very time when Philip listens to the voice of God to go to some random desert road that Philip happens to come up to this chariot, run up to this chariot. Here's this man reading Isaiah 53, right? Happens to be the prophecy that was over 700 years old who spoke of this Messiah that was to come, Jesus who had been crucified and rose again. So Philip shares the good news with them, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love that scripture is so specific about saying he shared it with him starting where the man was, was actually reading. See, when Philip was sharing his faith with this man, he began to share with the man and meet the man exactly where the man was at. He didn't try and take him anywhere else. But he obviously shares enough with this man that as soon as they see water, the man knows what you know, water baptism is. So they continue to go on and he asked Philip, obviously, to baptize him and Philip told him, now hold on, you need to fill out a connect card and you need to go through our five course class and you need to <laughs> dot the T's and, and, or dot the I's and cross the T's and do this and you need to go to church for a few months at least before you get baptized. No. He baptized him then and there. Hmm. I love that. Why, why is it that we make people jump through hoops when they're trying to find Jesus Christ? Why aren't we the ones that are making it easier for people to come? To come and be known and to come and know the living God. Philip swept away, teleported away, however you want to say it, right? And Luke, again, doesn't even bat an eye. Still strange. We could go a little deeper, even. So Philip was one of seven identified right by the apostles. This is in Acts chapter 6. And what was he appointed to? He was appointed to distribute food because the apostles were getting so preoccupied with distributing food, they're like, we need to minister to people. We need someone else on our team. We need, a lot of people refer to them as the first deacons in a church, right? Which is, would just be, think of servants, people serving in a church. So he's appointed to distribute food. By persecution, he's scattered. You know, everyone but the apostles are scattered throughout Samaria and Judea. This is where I think it's going to get a little closer to home for us. Like I said, he was involved in revival, and then God called him out of revival. Do you realize, church, that there are moments where God's going to call you out of influence 
into obscurity and see how you respond? It's the desert. He called him from a place of thriving to actually a place of being stationary. And how did Philip respond? I can imagine Philip responding to God a little like Arlene did with the tithing and would kind of try and negotiate with God. God, do you not see the thousands of people that are getting saved and coming to know you in Samaria? That's me. You're using me. God, you're using me. I don't see anyone else out here with me. Almost a little bit of like Elijah right after Mount Carmel. God, I'm the only one out here. And he's like, no, actually, there's a bunch more. He could have said that. He could have said, God, but hold on. Revival is like Philip and revival go hand in hand. You can't have revival without Philip. You can't have Philip without having revival. Come on, somebody. Everywhere I go. But no. He went. He didn't ask, how's revival going to continue to take place, God, after I leave, even though I'm the leader? He just trusted. I think something that's big here is that we need to realize that God may only reveal our next step once we're actually on the journey and we start that journey on that desert road. So often we're wanting our next step to find our next two, three, four, five steps. Let's be real, like our entire year, two years, three years, all of our plans. When God's saying simply, no, 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 step out of influence into obscurity and then I'm going to meet you there. But how willing are you to step away from your success into this moment, into a moment of question, church? I remember someone prophesied that over us years ago when we left Australia. He said, you're going to give, be given an option of the platform or the wilderness. What are you going to choose? He's like, I'm telling you this because God wants you to choose the wilderness because he's actually in the wilderness. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know who you're hearing from, buddy. But I'm, nope. That ain't from God. I'm going to test that prophecy, right? But there's so much truth in that. If we don't see progression in something and we don't see how our plans are worked out and how we can fit this into our goals and where we want to be in life, then we're like, oh, God, I'll wait till you give me something else. There's got to be something else in this. Because I'm here in this place. I'm here in influence. I'm here in success. And I, why would I want to go to obscurity? Why would I want to be on a desert road where there is nobody that travels? It's at the very bottom of Samaria. No one's going to go there. Why would I go to this place? You see what I'm doing. You see how faithful I am, God. If that doesn't mess with people's personal like theology, I don't know what does. You realize like you could be in obedience and God will still call you out of obedience to continue to be obedient but into the desert? We think that anytime God wants to remove us from where we're at when it's a successful endeavor, we automatically, if, it's, if promotion isn't presented in this nice wrapped gift immediately, we instantly think it's a demotion, right? Because God, we know your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts above our thoughts, but I'm actually pretty intelligent and I know you quite well, so 
doesn't seem like that's a good route for me. I don't know if it's going to work, God. We think demotion, right? Because obviously, like Philip would have done on this desert road, what's going on? What did I do? Did I disobey? Did I say something wrong? Did I not have them pray enough prayers when I led that last guy to the Lord? And oh, man. Nothing. Nothing wrong. Nothing at all. Maybe we've, we consider it's a timing thing as well. Maybe it just wasn't God's timing. Or like Arlene was kind of alluding to, maybe God has something better for you. A lot of times we're not willing to let go of the dream, thinking that that's the only dream we're going to have, when a lot of times God's saying, give me your dream, I'm going to give it back to you, but it's going to be even bigger than you could think. See, in those moments, he made himself available to hear, but to partner with God. He knew he wasn't going at this alone. He knew that he was doing this with God. I think some of us, too, in the church, we could get so critical of our lives, especially like when there's this predictability about them, and we're like, oh, Christianity is so boring. <sighs> Everyone else is having a good time. I just wish, God, that I'd do something fun. I'm living the mundane. Obviously, I'm the only one in this room that would ever think of something like that, right? But do we realize the adventure that we could go on when we actually listen to God? When we actually spend enough time with God to actually hear his voice? When we spend enough time in sitting at his feet that our agenda seems to go to the wayside and we actually genuinely want to hear from him? When we partner with him, I think a pivotal point in my life was when I first went to Australia. I know a lot of you have heard this story before, but the thing is, is that that move for me was many years in the making. Like it wasn't just like God spoke and I jumped and I went for it. I wish I could say that. <laughs> I was so obedient. It was years, decades in the making. Decades in the making and decades of, no, God, I don't know. That doesn't really fit into things. I don't see how that's going to work. It's not practical. It's not in line with what I'm doing, and I'm being obedient, and I hear from you, so that can't be from you. Am I preaching to the choir? Anyone else? I would have never seen, I didn't have the eyes, I didn't have the vision or the, like, the ability to dream to see myself back then when I made that decision to go to Australia right here. For me, this would have been out in my league. This would have been, no, that's way past my pay grade. I don't have the faith for that. I'm not going to do that. It's too difficult, God. But it's amazing that he works miracles, right? It's amazing what can take place when we actually listen and we walk in sync with God. See, Philip witnessed firsthand revival in Samaria, right? Miracles breaking out left and right. Said so spirits came out of many people who were paralyzed or lame or healed. The people saw the signs he performed and they all paid close attention to what he said. Something was going on. But yet he still obeyed and walked away from it all. 
now the eunuch. In our final few minutes together, this one hits home for me. He went to Jerusalem. I want to paint an even broader picture for you. Yeah, he was a man of influence. He had all of these things, but he would have gone to the temple to worship the God that he wanted to know and he wanted to be in relationship. And as he would walk up and he'd see this beautiful temple in, in his sights, this procession would come with him. And I always think like in my own way, I'm picturing the story and I'm, I like see the guy get out of the chariot and tell them like, just, just wait. I'm going to go on my own. I want to worship. And he walks up to the temple. And there's these massive overhang, this colonnade, these pillars, this shade. And there's the gate, the gate beautiful, that allows you into the temple. But as he gets up closer and closer to these pillars, he would start to see signs that would say that you're actually not allowed here. This is as far as you could come. In fact, if you get too close to the gate beautiful and you step through there, your life will be taken. So this man was treated as a second-rate worshiper. He traveled from Ethiopia. We complain about taking like 30-minute walks to church or whatever it is or whenever we have to give up an extra night of our week, right? This man traveled from Ethiopia with an ox-driven cart. Oxes aren't fast <laughs> at all. It would have taken him so long and imagine the buildup for him. And then imagine all the other believers that are there and he thinks I'm part of this family, I get to worship with them. And they're like, no, 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 De Deuteronomy 23.1, you know what that says, right? You're a eunuch. It specifically talks about you. You are not allowed in the assembly of the Lord. That's what Levitical law says. That's what Deuteronomy says. You cannot go any further. He would have been allowed into the Gentile court. I don't even know if they would have allowed him in that because technically... He could never even convert over to Judaism because he could never bear the mark that all Jew Jewish men did, which was to be circumcised. Layers and layers and layers in the story. This man is going up and imagine the heavy heart he would feel traveling all the way from Ethiopia to worship God and he gets there and he's an outcast still. He has to stay all the way out when he still sees a gateway up there. I felt the same way growing up in church. I felt like I could never fit in. Every season of my life, I always felt like there's something that made me an outcast with church and that I was never going to be good enough to worship and to be up front and to actually talk with these people. I couldn't pray these fancy, like, eloquent prayers. I couldn't recite all the scripture that all these other people were reciting. Probably half of them were Twitter quotes, but... I just felt like I'd never fit in. I wonder if some of you have ever felt like that with church. I don't measure up, if I really think about it. Or maybe I measure up in this environment, but if I go somewhere else, I'll be out of my league. He would have left defeated, I think. 
feeling like an outcast, feeling like a misfit. Added into the mix, he was different. He was a man of color. He wasn't like everybody else. Imagine the layers and all these people would have looked at him and then see him in his traditional Ethiopian you know, attire and his royal stuff and they'd think, who's this guy? So he's on his way back and he's reading that scroll. And even in those moments, God was preparing his heart for an encounter. See, God orchestrated all of these moments together to show this one man that he was known. In fact, he was reading Isaiah 53. He obviously would keep reading and read a little further, right? I want to read you something here in a second. If he would continue to read to Isaiah 56, he would actually see that he would not be a second-rate worshiper in God's eyes nor in his house. I'm going to put up Isaiah 56 for you. I'm going to read verses 3 to 5. Granted, remember how many, this is generations before this, probably 700 years before this moment. Scripture says, God says, actually, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let, hello, you see that word? I know you see it. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. I'm only a dry tree, meaning I cannot have any descendants. So this, Abra- this covenant of Abraham is not for me because my descendants will not be blessed and people will not be blessed through my descendants because I don't even have a family. How do you expect me to have a legacy? Physically, it cannot happen. But God's acknowledging him and he says, let no eunuch say that I'm only a dry tree. He's like, that's not just you. That does not define you. Verse 4 says, for this is what the Lord says. I love this. God's word is so good, man. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. This is a man that could not even step inside of the gates of the temple, y'all. And God is saying, I see you. I see you and I know you. I know what you're going through. But I want you to know that this is not the end. Continue to fixate your eyes on me. And not only am I going to honor you, I'm going to give you a place of honor inside of my temple. Not just in the temple, on the walls. In the Holy of Holies will be your name written across it. Better than sons and daughters, a name that's going to last forever and endure forever with me because I am eternity. That is for the misfits. That's for all the people that don't fit in. God is saying, whatever you look like, whatever you feel like today, you feel like you don't fit, that's okay. You just look to me. I'm the one who's going to give you a name. You don't let society give your name to you. Don't wear the label that they give you. I'm the one that's going to give you the name. Better than sons and daughters. You have a place in the Holy of Holies. And where's that? Where the presence of God resides. Everyone else is out at the gates wanting to get in and to be with the presence. And he's saying, you don't have to do anything. You just come to me and you will have that place. You'll walk in and you'll see your picture on my walls. 
Remember that one poem that you wrote for me when you were like 10 years old? That's up there too. Because I love you so much. You have a place of honor in my house. You're no longer a second-rate worshiper. One that, one that will endure forever. Come on. I'm going to invite the worship team up right now if I can. See, God worked this all out. He pulled someone out of revival like we talked about. Revival involving thousands. And I want you to hear this. I know the team's coming up, but I want you to really just focus in on this last couple things. He called someone out of revival that was ministering to thousands of people. You all catching with me, right? For one person. He called someone out that was ministering to thousands for the one. Jesus is all about the one. Remember that when Jesus was saying, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and one goes missing. He's the shepherd that goes after the one. See, be, grow, thrive is actually for every one. Regardless of where you're at, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what your past looks like, be, grow, thrive in God's house begins with a yes. Doesn't just begin with a yes, it continues and it actually sustains with a yes. You get that? It's our consistent yes every single day. Yes, God. Yes, God. This is me and Father, I'm doing life with you. Yes, God, I want to hear you. Yes, God, I want to be obedient. Yes, God, I'm going to live my life so people can see you. I'm not going to hide you away. I want people to experience you, God, the way that I have. See, our passion for Jesus is not about the fruit of our dedication to him. It's actually, it's the fruit of recognizing his dedication to us. There's two yeses there. Philip, so many of us are Philips in this room, right? He said yes. He said yes to serving this table, right? But he went from serving the table to having a seat at the table. And this eunuch said yes. No family, no legacy, but then he's adopted into the family and adopted into a legacy. Outside of the gate to a place of honor inside the temple. God honored both of their yeses. You realize, Philip, when he did this and stepped right from this success and influence into obscurity, what this brought him? He went from waiting tables in Acts chapter 6 to in Acts chapter 21. He's referred to as Philip the Evangelist. He was just this guy that showed up, showed up on Sundays, faithful, putting chairs out, putting food out, saying yes. That was it. That was it. He was faithful. He was just one of seven guys that were there to help the others. And look what God did with his yes. Look what God did with that man's yes. And then the eunuch um, there's this historian, Irenaeus. He actually like, would go to bat before the Nicene Creed, if any of you know Nicene Creed. He went after all these heretics back in the day. Um, he actually writes about this Ethiopian eunuch, and he says that this man actually became the first missionary into Ethiopia. Not just because, like, hello, oh, yeah, figures he moves back to Ethiopia, but no, he legitimately said that this man wrote that this man became a missionary 
that brought the word of God into the kingdom of Ethiopia. And then historians even document that he started the first church of Jesus Christ in Ethiopia. Church, we can never fully comprehend or dream what our, like, what our yes can do and what's on the other side of our yes. These guys didn't. I know for a fact Philip would have never dreamt that. And that eunuch, man, said yes to Jesus. He's a man with no legacy, no potential for legacy. And look at the legacy that he ushered in. Thousands and thousands and probably millions of people tied to that man's yes. So my question, church, today, before we start to worship together, what is your yes? What is God calling you to say yes to today? Maybe it's not just today. Maybe he's been calling you to say yes to something and you just can't do it. You're struggling with it. I want to encourage you. Today is the day. Today is the day. Say yes. Say yes, God, you could have all of me. Let's stand together. We're going to bring a throwback here in a second. This could be familiar for many of you, but I want you to really listen to these words. And I'd love, like, as you hear them and you sing them, can we make a, just a pact between all of us here right now? Can we make a decision today that we're actually going to step across the line from just singing and worshiping God, that we're actually going to sing these songs as a declaration over our own lives? That our yes right now may look like waiting tables. It may look like stepping from something so significant into obscurity. But God is going to honor your yes. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the House SF podcast. We pray that you're encouraged today by this message. If you'd like to partner with and support our ministry, please visit us at www.housesf.org.